recorded live in the Phantasmo Lounge, high atop the Susan Foreman building in beautiful Midtown Portsmouth, Virginia. It's Phantasmo After Dark with your host, Rob Floyd, and co-host, Phyllis Floyd. Tonight's topic, Day of the Triffids. When terror rained from the sky. Well, hey everybody, welcome back to the old podcast. Hey, Phyllis. Hey, Rob. How you feeling this week? I feel much better. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Phyllis was a bit sick uh, under the weather last week. If he weren't listening to the last episode, and the week before that, I was sick. So uh, we're both recovering, uh, recovering sinus holics and <laughs> <laughs> sinus holics. Well, this weather. I mean, God, I'm surprised we're still not you know dead to the world, flip flopping back and forth so much. I mean, what was it, seventy the other day, and now it's freezing today, like thirty something. Yes, ridiculous. Weather in Virginia is very interesting. Yeah, you don't like it, just wait a minute. But that has nothing to do with the topic we're talking about tonight. Indeed. This is what I'm surprised we haven't talked about before, given our history. Yeah, right? <laughs> Day of the Triffids. I remember this is one of those that, you know, you always see pictures and famous monsters and hear about growing up. And of course, in the song from Rocky Horror, where it's immortalized. And I really got hot. When I saw Jeanette Scott fight a triffid that spits poison and kills. I, I remember getting a VHS copy of this back when I was working at a department store back in the 80s. And, you know, really excited I finally get a chance to see it, mm -hmm. you know. And I had that up until not too long ago, really. In fact, I might still have it because I don't think I've got it on DVD yet. We watched it recently on, uh, was it Amazon Prime? Right. Pretty good copy. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Nice and clear. Sound quality was good. For the most good. part. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure Blu-ray would be phenomenal. But Yeah. I mean, there were a lot of places where... Um, well, you could see the film stock change a little you bit. You see the film stock change, and you can also see, you know, where it's it's got the mist effect going on. Yeah. Sometimes I couldn't tell if it was really the mist effect or if it was oh, just it was grainy. Yeah, <laughs> just the film. So, But it doesn't matter. I mean, it was still... It was clean enough to see. It wasn't a terrible copy. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's not a bad little science fiction film. No, I enjoyed it. It uh, moves along at a pretty good clip. It's a British co-production, I believe, and so it kind of has that almost hammerish kind of feel to it, but kind of the War of the Worlds kind of feel too. You know? Yeah, I felt a little more War of the Worlds ish yeah. Yeah. than Hammer. Yeah, it's it's it, there's a couple, and well, I'll tell you why it kind of feels like Hammer in some in a, some points. I found this out with doing a little research. When they finished filming the movie, it came in at 57 minutes. Okay. Now it's too short. And now that running time is what? 134. 134, right? Mm -hmm. So they went back and they filmed those lighthouse scenes. You know how they're disconnected from the rest of the movie? Yeah. Those characters don't interact with anybody else? Yeah. Those were filmed after the movie was finished. Okay. I wondered. It felt like a totally separate yeah. film. And... They got Freddie Francis to direct those scenes, who directed a lot of Hammer, Hammer films. Stuff, yeah. Uh, and he's not listed in some some credits. He's listed as another director. Some credits he's not listed at all. Oh wow. Yeah. So yeah, after the film was over, they they had to pad it out. So they wrote those scenes and filmed those kind of exposition kind of scenes. You get a little characterization, but it turns out they're the ones that find out how to kill the Triffids. And. I don't know how they got the word out to everybody else because <laughs> they didn't have any contact with the outside world on that lighthouse island they were on. Well, they did have a radio, but I never heard, never saw, saw them, them talking. Saw them use it to talk to Yeah, they were yeah. really listening. 
Although I can't imagine they couldn't use it to talk because they were stranded themselves yeah. on a little island lighthouse. Yeah, so. yeah. And it was it's weird watching the movie because you get to that and you get this little bit of characterization and then it comes back to the main story and then after a while you forget about the lighthouse thing because you're caught up in the main story and then it goes back to that and it almost throws you because it's not so much a smooth transition because uh, typically movies like that you'll you'll get, if it's showing different things that are going on, it's usually more than two different things. You'll yeah. get this group, that group, and this person over here maybe, you know. Right. And somehow they they come together in the end yeah. one way or another. Yeah. They somehow get connected or meet up or something. And this ne- it never happens in this one. Not that it hurts a movie in, in the pacing or anything at all, really. And, okay, well, let's talk the plot real quick here. It's It starts off with some exposition, a narrator talking about carnivorous plants. And mm-hmm. they're talking about the meteor shower that you're seeing all over all over the world, really, I guess. Yep, but all over it's the world. focusing in London. Once in at a first. lifetime, you must see it. Yeah. And it's and it talks about they burn up before they hit the earth, so we're not in danger of you know being bombarded by meteors, but it's a sight to behold and yada yada yada. And it turns out in the overnight hours, everybody in the world just about was watching this meteor shower and goes blind because of the bright light. That's about all they say. They don't really go into why or how. It's just yeah, they don't go blind immediately. They go blind overnight, apparently, like while they sleep or something. I mean, but it it, no, it doesn't even say it that. It doesn't say that. But I mean, you see the the doctor and the nurse are looking at the meteorites. Or yeah, the but they're just that's just the first few that are coming down. Right, and then they tend to their patient, and then they they go could have gone back out and looked at more that got brighter as it came on, I which guess. is the way I, I kind of saw it. Maybe so. I because they okay, You'd we're introduced. That, during this exposition and this doctor and nurse in this hospital, we're introduced to Howard Keel, mm-hmm. uh, Mason, his last name, Mr. Mason. Bill Mason. Bill Mason, his patient. He's got had eye surgery. His eyes are bandaged up. So he can't see the once in a lifetime. Yeah. Story. And we're getting his bandages are uh, getting cut off in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it's a period of about, I would say, about eight hours worth of sleep that chaos just breaks out. Yep. And into the world, a post-apocalyptic type. Everybody in the world who's seen these meteors, which is looks like a good 90% of the population. Seems like it. Goes blind and the streets disrupt in chaos. Mm-hmm. The hospital that he's in is abandoned and trashed, except for one doctor. And, oh, a couple of great scenes here. He takes the bandages off and his eyes come into focus. Mm -hmm. And then he wanders around looking for people. You see the hospital. It looks like it's been, I mean, just torn up. And there's nobody there whatsoever. He heard a scream and that was it. Yeah. Well, then he bumps into his doctor. His doctor is like, oh, you can see. Well, take me back to my office. And he checks his eyes with the light and this is okay. Total. The doctor says, oh, the optic nerve is dead. Mm -hmm. Could you go to the outer office and get get this pouch out of the desk? And this is a beautiful scene. Mason's out in the outer office, and you see the glass behind him, and it's that kind of rippled glass where you can't really, you can see images through it, but you can't see clearly. Yeah. You know, they had in the 60s yeah, and the 70s. Yeah, you can make out figures. You yeah. just can't see exactly And you see the, sh- the fuzzy image of the doctor in there kind of fumbling to the one side of the room where mm-hmm. the window was. And then he backs up a little bit, and then he runs real fast. And... It's like there's a filing cabinet there. So you see him run past that. You don't see him actually go out the window. Mm-hmm. But then you see him run past break. that. You hear the glass break. And, oh, it's a pretty powerful scene it the way cool, it's shot. Because yeah. it you're not expecting cool. it. And if you're not, you're focused on him in the foreground. So if you're not really paying attention to the, everything in the picture, 
you don't notice that happen. Yeah. Yeah, because it's not like the, yeah, because you're watching him. He's looking for whatever yeah. it is in the and, in the desk. And it's not a sharp image. It's like light moving in the background, but you can see it's the shape of a person. Yeah, yeah, it was really well done. Oh, yeah, it's beautiful, beautiful shot. So anyway, he gets dressed, Mason, and goes out into the street. He's going back to, he's a Navy man, and he's going back to his ship. And he's walking the streets of London, and it's total chaos. There's buses and cars crashed into buildings and people walking around with their arms outstretched trying to find their way and trash all over the place. And did you did you notice, or did it hit you, that 28 Days Later kind of ripped this off, this scene? I didn't think about it, I guess. Where the guy wakes up in the hospital mm-hmm. and is trashed and there's nobody there. Okay. You know? It's been so long and he walk, he's walking that. the streets and there's nothing attention. around. I barely remember that movie. Yeah, it, well, I didn't care for it that much. <laughs> but it, yeah, this is it's ex- almost shot not shot for shot, but it's really close to it. Ripped off from this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, you know. Howard Keel goes on ends up finding this young girl at a train station. Yeah. Who's that, getting off that a train? That was pretty cool. Oh like, yeah, train crashes. Train and... crashes into the train station. Everybody's blind and panicking except this one girl who's asleep the whole time. This young school girl mm-hmm. Susan Susan and they end up just latching on to each other and going across London they get to his ship there's nobody on his ship they get to the radio room they hear reports of what's going on all over the world and the little girl can understand French just so he translates the French that's coming over the radio a plane crashes into the bay oh there's that scene where yeah where they're hearing a radio report of the pilot calling from Mayday Oh, right. The That's pretty chilling. Yeah. All these people on this plane and the pilot and the co-pilot and everybody's, they're trying to fly it and they're blind. And you can see it, they're like, they're blind, but their eyes are wide, like they're panicked too, yeah. but trying to hold it together, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, oh, this this kills me. The people are are in their seat belts in the seats and then somebody says something, is the pilot blind too? And then somebody says, the pilot's blind? And people start undoing their seat belts and getting up. They're all blind. What the hell are they going to do? They rush the cockpit like yeah, they can do yeah, anything. Yeah, they're feeling around trying to walk around a plane and rush the cockpit. It's like, what are you planning on doing at this point? It, they're okay. they're crazy. If the pilot is blind and you're blind, what's going up the cockpit going to do? Nothing. Except cause it to crash care. faster. Yeah. So then you see it crash. Yeah. Oh, oh it's just terrible. That was a, that was a pretty chilling scene. There. Yeah, but then uh, Mason and Susan they get a little boat, and because of something I forget what the report was, something about France. Uh, I don't know, it was a rescue rescue center or something. Yeah. Anyway, they go across the channel to France, and they uh, hijack another car and <laughs> borrow another car, and they end up finding these people who, this woman who has a chateau, a big mansion house in France, is, is kind of converted it into a hospital for the people in her village that she knows that have gone blind mm-hmm. and is trying to help these people out. So they end up staying there for a little while and helping them out. And then some series of shenanigans happen. And, oh, and that's when they find, well, no, they find out about the Triffids a little earlier. Yeah. But this is where we really see a little more of them and them grouping together. And that's where we get a name. Yeah. Yeah. One of the guys, one of the, the older man goes out with Bill. I can't remember what they're doing out in the countryside somewhere near the chateau. And, he sees this like little field full of the triffids. They're they're smaller at that point, I guess. Yeah. And, and he says, "Oh, those are the triffids." And Bill asks what they are, and he explains that the triffids had 
did he say they came down from some previous meteor shower? Yeah, he saw it years ago. He saw one in a greenhouse or something. Yeah. Which that may have been the guy at the beginning that we or some because we saw two guys in greenhouses different times at the beginning. Yeah. But it never said. I don't think it said that this was years before. No. Yeah. So it it was weird the way they explain these yeah. triffids and how they have names or whatever. But anyway, so. I don't know why they didn't just kill the entire field of triffids at that point, but yeah, a little didn't. gasoline, a little fire. They were, you know, they tried to shoot them. It's like, okay, you're going to shoot a plant. Okay, great. <laughs> and then in the lighthouse, he's a scientist. Yeah, yeah they're a marine biologists or whatever. So they they start dissecting the plant and then trying to figure out different ways to kill it. And this won't kill it, and that won't kill it, and this acid won't do it, and that won't do it. I, I'm pretty sure fire would have done it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, that's what I would have tried first. It's a plant. Yeah, first thing would have been fire for me. <laughs> Let's burn some leaves, okay? Yeah, something. <laughs> yeah. Fire will kill just about anything, come to think of it. Yeah. As they continue their journey, they've learned they can get to some other uh, other rescue point, I guess, where I can't remember. In some, Spain, I think, yeah, is what they were talking in about. Spain, where I think a submarine crew who had been submerged during the shower, were all okay or something. I oh, yeah, it was, it's a naval base, it's an American naval base in Spain. Yeah. That's it. So they continue on, and they come across more people. and when Steal they, an ice cream truck. Yeah, they <laughs> yeah, the ice cream truck. And uh, at that place, when they come across the lady who's pregnant, that's when they finally do use fire. And it manages to stop the triffids. It's like yeah. a whole... Well, first first he rigs up a fence around the... Um, Electric fence, the, yeah. The house, and that he electrifies kinda, it. Yeah, it stalls them. But that they didn't have enough power to go, right, th- the, to go through the fence to really burn them good. Right, right. So then he, he finds like a gas truck, and he, he lights them all on fire. And that seems to do the trick, but it's like they don't die. They just kind of... Or there's Stop. so many, of, more of them grow and keep walking forward. Is that what it was? I think they just burned the first row or two of them. Is okay, what it was. got, gotcha. And that's what it looked like to me. Anyway. Okay, so then there's more. Then they discover that apparently the triffids can hear. I don't know where they hear from, but the noise is what's drawing them on. So he he pied pipers them and draws them away. Well, they say the... you talk to your plants; it works. So that's true. So he takes them away and lets the. The rest of the with crew, the ice cream truck, yeah, with the ice cream truck, lets the rest of the crew escape and go to the submarine, and eventually he meets up with them back on the sub. Yeah. In the meantime, the people at the lighthouse have discovered that seawater seawater will dissolve, dissolve the plants. The plants, and since the world is ninety percent or whatever percent covered in seawater, we're good. Yep. Except in Wyoming, then they're going to burn them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It just the whole time, both of us are going, burn them, <laughs> light the plants on fire. Just you can't kill them. them. Fire will do it. I, I, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was very frustrating. I, I, maybe, maybe I watch too many old horror movies. I don't know, but fire seems to kill about anything. I don't know yeah. why people back then didn't think fire would do it. Well, and you burn wood. You burn trash. You know. <laughs> Burn the plants. Yeah. <laughs> Just don't feed the plant. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it was a bit uh little shop there for a minute when the one plant just like is looks like it's devouring the guy yeah, whole. Yeah. Well, according to the description, that is what happens. They they eat the human husks. It was actually very enjoyable. I liked watching it a lot. Yeah. The the plot it doesn't trudge along at all. I was quite invested and interested the whole it time. Moves along the only time good, that nice. I was 
that I was maybe taken out of it was when it jumped to the next group, when it went back and forth between the lighthouse and between Bill Mason and his yeah. crew. It was kind of odd. But watching the trials and tribulations of, of Bill Mason and Susan as they tried to cross the country yeah, was pretty interesting. Yeah. Oh, that was very War of the Worlds-like, and yeah. I enjoy that story Yeah, it, it did have that kind of feel to it. One thing it, it didn't make clear, I don't think, or just you just saw it as it goes along, is is the plants walk. Yeah. Or they drag themselves along. Yeah, with their roots. Yeah, they uproot themselves and move. All plants move. They don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. That's why they're really so dangerous. Yeah, and they do spit and, poison and kill. that spits poison and kills. Yeah, and they, <laughs> they, but you know, it doesn't show that. Well, it does. I mean, they spit at one point. Poison. It shows them spit some liquid on the windshield of the car, but yeah. then the next time it's it's spewing like a gas. Yeah, that's true. And it was kind of cool how it got that guy that Mason was carrying. Yeah. And he didn't know it. Yeah, until was, they got away, and then weird. it's like he was dead. He died on his shoulders. You yeah, know? that was kind of that was sad. That was sad. And they, I don't think they really eat anybody except that first guy. The rest of it, it's just we don't see it anyway. Yeah. When we assume when it, it gets it. what Babette, there's yes. a crowd of them in front of her, and or and she's against a wall, and she just kind of falls down. We don't see yeah. them devour or anything. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is just, I think, spitting the poison dust yeah so it doesn't it's i mean there's no gore and all there's no specifics of how they kill right it's just a couple different things happen that they do Mm -hmm. the thing that was kind of weird to me is you know they talk about the plants and i guess how they got here and they talk about the meteor shower and the fact that everybody's blind they don't really talk about the fact that why are the plants suddenly moving? I mean, if the plants have been here, did the the recent shower trigger them to start moving and eating? Is or that well, what see, I, Why? I think I don't quite understand that. I'm kind of getting that the meteor shower. It left me with the impression that when the guy said he saw one years ago, that there was just one, or just a couple, he saw in that greenhouse, that there weren't widespread. You know. Mm-hmm. And these meteors deposited more. That, so that's how did he know that it the, didn't say that. So he said there was a meteor shower. I, he he might say that it brought one. Yeah, maybe or something. That's kind of what it let the impression left me. So you think that the meteors, the, this recent shower, brought more? Is that what he was trying to insinuate? I think so. So and that's kind of what the, I took out of why it. Why didn't the one that was here before eat people? I don't know. Maybe he killed it. I don't remember the beginning okay. there. Or if that was him at the beginning. See, I have to go back and watch that part again because it doesn't say that this happened years before. Yeah. Okay. I didn't get the impression that it was years before. So well, he, anyway, no, he, I must no, have just missed part. something. So that's okay. So if somebody remembers how that, that all ties in, <laughs> let me know because I must a book. have missed it. The movie came out in 62, 63. The book Day of the Triffids was written in 51. And apparently sold quite a few copies. You know, it was a even up through the eighties, it was still selling pretty good. I did read in a little bit of the research that the movie differs quite a bit from the book, mm. but I'm not sure how or where because I've never read the book. Right. So that might be kind of interesting. Yet again, maybe you need to go read the book. Maybe I need to do that sometime. I have to <laughs> dig up a copy. It's probably a pretty good book. Probably. You know, I mean, the story's pretty good. I like that kind of story. Yeah, me too. So maybe we'll get a copy and read it together. <laughs> a bedtime story, if you will. 
You can read to me. I'll read to you. (laughs) (laughs) We're so dorky. Speak for yourself, sister. (laughs) (laughs) No, you're speaking for me, too. (laughs) Anyhow, so who was was in this? The main folks that are in it are Howard Keel. Okay. Who was in Kiss Me Kate, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Great singing voice. Right. A deep baritone, you know. He did not sing in this. Did not sing in this, though, unfortunately. Would have been awesome if he did. That would have been awesome. Yeah. Jeanette Scott. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, what was she in? She was in, oh, and I was just looking at her IMDb list a minute ago. It'll come back to me in a minute. And Carol Ann Ford. Mm-hmm. She was the first Doctor's companion. Oh, or Doctor his, Who. And his granddaughter, Doctor Who, the original. I see. Yeah. Who actually, she came back and did some big finish stuff. With the guy that played the first Doctor in that documentary, mm-hmm. they did some Big Finish stuff as oh, cool. the first Doctor and the granddaughter, yeah. I really enjoy the Big Finish stuff. Yeah. Big Finish audio, if, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. It's, uh, they're like audio books, but they're audio plays done with a lot of the actual actors from the, the series. Different ver- The different Doctors and Companions over yeah, the years. Yeah, they're really good. Really well done. So really the idea to do that. Mm-hmm. Great stories. What about Susan? Has she done anything else? The person who played Susan, little girl? You know, I don't know. Let me consult the Magic Oracle on that. I did a little research for this, but not as much as I usually do, because we're sitting right down to watch the movie. But <laughs> <laughs> and then because of time constraints of other plans that we have for the day, we uh, jumped right into recording. We did indeed. What did we watch last night? Oh, last night. Yeah, we were we were trying to find something to watch for the for the new episode. And we figured we had such a such a good time with the crap fest the week before. <laughs> That's like, okay. Let's watch something we've never heard of. You know, maybe something from that grindhouse era that oh, I love right, so much. Right, right, right. So we found this movie, Circus of Terror, or Terror Circus. Terror Circus. Actually, it goes by Circus of Terror and Barn of the Naked Dead. But I there's a little said bit ter- of dead Terror Circus on the Terror Circus copy is the title watched. that we were watching on okay. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Now the title Barn of the Naked Dead, I would have been really pissed. If we watched Barn of the Naked Dead. <laughs> there was not much naked. <laughs> there was there was a little bit of dead, and there was a blink if you, you'll miss it naked. There True. was no naked. Might not as well really. been no naked. Not really. Uh, but Andrew Prine was the lead in it, the bad guy. Yes. And we kind of got, you know, know him and his wife Heather, a couple festivals they've come to of ours. And they're really nice folks. Indeed. They're, they're really cool. Andrew tells some great stories, and his wife Heather is... is just She's sweet awesome. as she can be. Yeah. And their their little puppy caviar is cute as a button. Oh, yeah. And it's a great little dog. There's a picture of you with caviar. Yeah. Well, I got to know him for about an hour or so one day. <laughs> <laughs> Slept in my arms for, for a while. But they're great folks. And the movie, I mean, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't that great. It was really kind of slow. And for the circus in the title, there was no circus. The guy no. was trying, making a circus in his head with these females he would capture yeah. the car broke down on in the desert and he would chain them up in his barn and but he'd um, try to like he'd get out there do... like a circus mess like a ringmaster and with a whip and he'd try to get them to walk around in circles and, and like do stuff like animals and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah and it was it could have been a really cool creepy movie but yeah. it's just kind of bland and boring yeah andrew did a really good oh, job he's always being good. crazy yeah he's always good in, in anything and but he did i did read a little thing and uh Looking it up, he supposedly he said that this is the only movie he's ashamed of he ever made or <laughs> wished he never was in or something like that. And it's like it's it's just not 
it's not that bad. It's just not much going on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and he was a he was a right ass crazy person. Oh yeah, of course. Then there was the uh, the side story where he was living in the desert next to the what atomic testing site or something. Oh yeah, yeah. So his dad had been mutated, so he was a bit of a mutant. He was a mutant. <laughs> oh okay, and here you go. the The girl who played Susan. Yes. Getting back to that. Back for to a minute. Susan. Yeah. Jeez. She was in Heart of Dracula hmm. as a little girl in that. Okay. Tania, the Headless Ghost, Two Faces of Dr. Jekyll. So she did Hands of Orlock, Triffids, of course. So she did her, her bit for Hammer there. Did she do anything more recent? Yes, actually, in 2000. Oh. She was in something called Green Fingers, which I'm guessing is a, was a British show, maybe. Hmm. But not much before that. She did uh, a TV series in the 80s and the 90s, and then one in the 70s and 80s, and little bits here and there. Let's see. And, of course, Jeanette Scott was the, I believe she was the woman in the lighthouse. Right. And she did, besides being immortalized in the song from Rocky Horror. And I really got hot when I saw Jeanette Scott. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, she was in Paranoiac. It was a Hammer film with Oliver Reed. Okay. Which I have. We need to watch. I haven't watched it yet. All right. And Old Dark House. Oh. The remake of Old Dark House in 63, the William Castle mm-hmm. version, which I don't think we've watched yet. I don't think so. We should do that one. Yeah. I'm always up for an Old Dark House film. Yeah, that would be that would be a good one to do. Cool. Well, this one, I know there were some odd sounds in this that kind of drug me out a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, occasionally there were weird music cues that, I don't know, at one point there was some, like, whistling noise. Wasn't it? I can't remember when it was. Somewhere early in the film where I was like, what the heck is whistling? And I couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I don't remember that. I remember, But the sound of when the Triffids were, like, walking and moving. Sound kind of like a, a turkey underwater is, is what, what it made me think of. A turkey underwater. Well, it was like, but it was like, it was like, like more muffled, you know. I wonder what they did to make kinda that like, sound. Yeah, like a bubbling, but it was really kind of like a turkey sound. It was really weird. We've had a a, a run on turkey noises recently, we I have. guess. We have. But I don't think there was anything else in it, as far as music goes, that stood out or was out of place. I think the music was, was mostly, you know, mostly fit. Yeah, yeah, it had some dramatic stings and uh, at the right places and all that. It wasn't outstanding. It wasn't John Williams or anything, but it was, no. it fit fit the bill yeah you know i mean overall basically if if you enjoyed war of the worlds i think you'll enjoy this yeah it's very similar in in just the plot, the plot and, the, and the pacing and tone. yeah it's, it's not as intense as war of the no worlds. by no means no but similar in in what's happening and also you know the common cold killed the the martians yeah. and, and it's kind of a kills these yeah. so it's kind very kind of similar. a last man on earth but not as desolate yeah that type yeah. of feel you know yeah i mean I, I would not say that it's as 
good as War of the Worlds because War of the Worlds is one oh, of my favorites. No, uh uh-uh. But it's definitely similar and it's a it's a good story. Yeah. I really did yeah. enjoy it. And it's easy. It's just a solid movie. It's a good it's a good solid sixties sci fi picture. Yeah. Uh and it's easy to see. It's on Amazon Prime. It's probably on Netflix. It's probably on uh YouTube, I imagine. Oh, I haven't probably. checked there. Yep. And I'm sure it's still available on DVD or Blu-ray somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I really would like to see a Blu-ray copy, though, because the Amazon Prime copy is pretty is is good, but I, you know, Blu-ray cleanup would be just that much sharper, you know. Indeed. Still need to get a good copy of Three on a Meat Hook. <laughs> <laughs> meat Hook. Meat Hook. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, the difference in you don't think about it until you actually see it. I know. If the copy looks pretty, unless it's super dark, yeah. you know. But in my copy, going back to Invasion of the Bee Girls. That's the one you always use as an example. Well, because it was, it's so, so drastically different. Yeah. different. I thought my DVD copy was okay. Right. And it is. It's okay. It's not bad. But then I watched Tony's Blu-ray copy. It was like night and day. Yeah. How much cleaner that copy is. Mm-hmm. And it makes me never want to go back and watch that DVD copy ever again. I got to get it on Blu-ray now. Yep. And I'm not one of those guys I want to replace everything I own on Blu-ray. But when the difference is that drastic. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of need to get that. Yeah. It's funny, you know, sitting here thinking about Trippids, There's, there were so many little plot points in it that you can go into or discuss. I mean, it, it yeah. definitely gave you a lot to think on while you're watching it. I mean, Such like, as? Well, I mean, it, like they, they set up the whole thing at the beginning with um, the couple in the lighthouse where he's an alcoholic. But then they don't talk about it again. The fact that he's stranded on this island he has no more alcohol and he he gets one bottle a week with the supply yeah yeah i mean there's like this big relationship story about how they're you know well they set that up i guess because then when the when the tragedy the drama hits of the triffid yeah then he has to focus on this and that's out the window at that point right no i mean i understand that part it's just they don't they don't talk about the fact that he's He's clearly an alcoholic. He he doesn't go through any DTs, you know. So yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't matter. No, they it don't touch a, it in anymore. And it was like it doesn't didn't even really need to be there except to have a little conflict between them. Yeah, I mean, it could have been any conflict between them, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. I mean, just little things like that, you know. That yeah, that there were little side what, pieces yeah. they could have had what, or not had, and it wouldn't have really mattered. Yeah, one thing that did bug me a little bit, I have to say, in in, in the negative on it is. It does end abruptly. Yeah, it is. It's one of those where they get a, a little victory over the Triffids. Mm-hmm. And then the narration tells you that everything was taken care of. And, yeah. Once and eventually out, the cure was found and everybody was saved and everything went back to normal. Yeah. You know, like that. Well, once they discovered that seawater was in at the lighthouse, then it flashes over to the... Like everybody going to some church or something in Spain or wherever they were, and yeah, the, yeah, the narration. But well, because the last thing we see is the girl, the little girl, and then the the woman that they hooked up with mm-hmm. at the chateau, getting on the boat or the sub with the all these other people and the navy guys. And Mason isn't there, but she's like, "He'll find us" or whatever. And then Mason is doing his thing, and he goes to the edge of a cliff and sees somebody in a raft and says, "Hey!" and flags him down, and they pick him up mm-hmm. and then I don't know if we get narration then or it goes back maybe it goes to the lighthouse it goes to the lighthouse and, and then it comes back and then they're reunited and, and a bunch of people with the three of them are together uh, Mason and the young girl and the woman 
going to this church with this whole bunch of people and the narration tells you that everything's going to be okay now. Yeah, I guess so. And screw all those people that are blind. Yeah, just yeah. The people that can see apparently. Yeah, it says that it doesn't say world. anything about the, what happened to all the blind people. It just says that the Triffids were are, were killed. Yeah, and they won't bother us ever again. <laughs> doesn't say anything about ninety percent of the planet that's blind yeah, now. Yeah, either going to recover from that or or yeah. Maybe nothing. most of them died because of the Triffids that got them because they couldn't see. I don't know. Could be. <laughs> Odd. Yeah, that's you know. Of course, I don't want the ending to be long and drawn out no, either. No. But it just seemed like it. stop suddenly and then like this is it yeah here we go you know you're done yeah yeah anyhow but no i I mean it's definitely worth watching i enjoyed it oh yeah definitely check it out it's easy it's another one it's no excuse not to see it it's so easy to watch to get a hold of now and especially if you're in the mood for something like that you know 60s uh fun sci-fi stuff it's it's a good one indeed that's about all i got on that that's all i got all righty Shall we play the game? We shall play the game. The world revolves around Planet of the Apes game. Well, for those of you who are the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, this is the Planet of the Apes version where we came up with this long before the Kevin Bacon game was developed. And we have discovered that the world does indeed revolve around Planet of the Apes because you can connect anybody and anything back to Planet of the Apes. Yes, indeed. So let's go with Howard Keel. Okay. Howard Keel. Okay, Howard Keel. This is easy. It's been easy for a lot of shows now. Well, that's because everything's connected to Planet of the Apes. <laughs> okay, go. Howard Keel was in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, the movie, okay. uh, the TV show. Right. Julie Newmar was in Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. Uh, Julie Newmar was in the Batman, Batman TV, TV show. show. Rodney McDowell was in the Batman TV show, Planet of the Apes. I'm even getting good at this now. <laughs> 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 well done. A little sidebar, the TV show. Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, Bobby Sherman and David Soul Hutch, mm-hmm. were in that. Bruce Lee did an episode of that oh. where he did not do any martial arts. Interesting. Yeah. Go figure. Just a little aside there. That's about it, though. I, I guess, guess so, yeah. So until next time, thanks for listening, everybody. Good night. Good night. Good night.